The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Welcome to the Brandon Peters Show and the summer of 93, 1993, folks. Uh, 1893 has not been recorded yet. Uh, at Taylor 30. Sheridan presents. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, no shit. Uh, uh, <laughs> at 30 series. It's the summer of 93 at 30. A weekend by weekend look at the movies released during the summer of 1993. Returning... This week, oh, we have our, our two co-hostess with the mostest. The first one's from The Wrap. It's Scott Mendelson. Hello. Always a pleasure to be here. And the guy with a laundry list of places he writes for and the host of Out Now with Aaron and Abe, Aaron Newworth. Me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that on your post-it? Tell me that was no. on your post No, it's not. <laughs> okay. All right. So... Today we'll be discussing uh, the weekend that was May 28th through 30th of 1993. We have four films on the docket for you. But as always, we begin with the news. When I wake up, don't you know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who brings the news to you. Tonight we salute five gifted performers. They are this year's Lead Actress nominees. For Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series, the nominees are... Do you remember that I also told you that I knew damaged my very soul? That if anyone could live this Susan Lucci, All My Children. Well, you're going to go on making this thing, you know that, for a long time. I thank God you're fine, Mom. And the Emmy goes to... How am I doing? Hello. And the ending goes to Linda Dano. On May 24th, uh, Ba Wong BG, uh, directed by Chen Keg, and The Piano, directed by Jane Campion, jointly awarded the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, Jane. They're both both held up in high regard to this day. Dude, that piano criteria in 4K last year, I was all over that damn thing. Aaron's going to hold it up for us. <laughs> it's right behind me. <laughs> I watched that thing. Like, I don't get a chance to watch movies all the time, but I popped that thing in a good like three times within the month it came out because it's just a beautiful looking film. And it The two me. times I distinctly remember taking my aunt and uncle to the movies was The Piano in 1993 and Ed Wood in 1994. They never let me pick the movie ever again after that. There we go. They do a graphic. <laughs> no overlays needed for that video. <laughs> do you have the power of the dog one so you can show that they have? Yes, there we go. Watch watch these covers for our YouTubers. Uh, sorry, audio listeners, but look them up. There you go. Look, see. Oh, yeah, they go together. 
All right. On May 20th. We'll do it together. <laughs> we what? need to get more champion movies on here. We do. Uh, May 24th, uh, Eritrea achieved independence from Ethiopia after a 30-year civil war. Finally. You Thank guys were, fucking Christ. You guys were giving your pennies to the wrong poor children. Yeah, Matt Stone and Trey Parker. <laughs> On May 24th, Kim Basinger files for bankruptcy to avoid paying a $7.4 million settlement. Scott, what was that one about? Oh, I'm gonna have to go off memory here. I apologize. Uh, she made a move. She was, she made it. She was, she made a movie called Boxing Elena, uh-huh. mm-hmm. starring, all due respect, the currently missing and presumed dead Julian Sands. Mm. Um, well, and, by the time this airs, yeah, I mean, it's you know, we may have an answer to that, <laughs> you know, fingers crossed and all. Um, it's a movie about a guy that gets obsessed with a woman and wants to own her and possess her and all that jazz. He basically cuts off her arms and legs and sticks her in a box. I know this movie now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it's. And I, I apologize. I, I if I knew I was going to be giving a lecture, I'd have done more research. Um, but I'm trying to remember the. Well, details. after the peace treaty last week, I figured you were on the ball. <laughs> well, if you'll let me, I'll look it up. Because I remember she didn't want to do the film. And then she got sued over not wanting to do the film. Oh, so this is the Whoopi Goldberg Tyrannosaurus Rex situation. Kinda. Hmm. <laughs> exactly the same. <laughs> um Okay, so she's gonna start. She wasn't in the wait. She wasn't in the picture. I'm sorry. I thought she was in the film. Okay, then this is a lot easier to explain then. She agreed to do the film. She basically changed her mind and then was sued for backing out of the deal and lost and ended up being hit with a $6.4 million suit. 7.4. It's 7.4. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, It's now who actually ended up in it. I always associated with her for obviously. Carolyn Fenn from Twin Peaks. Carolyn Fenn, hmm. of course. I say. That's um, a call. Yeah, it was one of those those obviously it was a very media friendly case at the time. Basinger was a somewhat of a household name in the industry. And she was a quote unquote movie star, even though she wasn't, you know, about the seats draw to the extent that anyone was back then, other than you know, Tom Cruise and Kevin Costner. No, Batman was big for her and yeah, yeah, uh, that was you know, Baldwin her and Baldwin her, were a big know, thing. That's right. This was right around when she married Alec Baldwin. Mm-hmm. How's he doing these days? Um He's got lawsuits person. too. Yeah, <laughs> just as unjust, I would argue, but I digress. Yeah, so I mean, All basically, right. that's the, the end of short of it. She agreed to do the film. She changed her mind. She backed out. The film still got made and made like a million dollars, but she ended up getting sued for breach of contract and losing. Well, that's the the case of the Basinger and for bankruptcy. Four years later, she had something of a comeback with uh, L.A. Confidential and won an Oscar for it. There you go. So... Okay, and then went on to give a compelling performance in Cellular. Uh, yes, I like that movie. And, okay. bless the child. and a less compelling performance in Bless the Child, but right. everyone makes mistakes. Um, okay, so moving on. On May 24th, the Star Trek episode 
Second Chances airs guest starring Mae Jemison, the first real-life astronaut to appear on the show. Bold. Cool. Do we, what do we count with Shatner? Because retroactively, he would be the first. <laughs> That's not how time works. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Have you seen Star Trek? They fuck with time all the time. I've got of it, so no. Maybe he All just right. went to the Nexus and he's still there. There's that gotcha. first, there's that 09 one where like Spock does things, but whatever, mm-hmm. I don't care. All right. <laughs> All right. And on May 26th, the, at the 20th Daytime Emmy Awards, Susan Lucci loses for the, oh, fuck. <laughs> for the 14th time. Wow. She's a real Diane Warren at that point. Loser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so our death eventually week. won didn't she yeah, yeah but she that's, did. Not, that's not this okay. show Scott. that's and guess what you never five. heard her name again after she won that is true she was known for being a loser <laughs> uh so anyways uh passing away this week uh dan seymour actor dan seymour actor jan wiley um and blues singer guitarist charles dr ross Birthdays this week, we have Norman Powell of the L.A. Clippers, uh, Richard Carapaz, he's a road cyclist, and the Dilly Sex Tuplets. Uh, the United States' first set of surviving sex tuplets were born in Indianapolis, Indiana, where I live. The Naptown Babies. Naptown Six. So that is what happened this week in 1993. <laughs> And those sectuplets were born. They were made in America. I was artificially inseminated. You're white. (laughs) Whoopi Goldberg. What do you mean he's white? Ted Danson. My dad. Made in America. Yo, it's a white man at the door. Rated PG 13. Starts Friday, May 28th at the theater near. In a world where there are white couples and black couples, <laughs> one movie chooses to explore mixing those hands together to provide the no comedy from director. From director, uh, Richard Benjamin, written by... Oh, it's Richard Benjamin! <laughs> <laughs> written by... That is by, not the name uh, I expected to hear, and yeah. yet it's delightful. <laughs> written, by, written by Harry Goldberg Sloan on a story by Marsha Brandywine, uh, Nadine Schiff, Holly Goldberg and Holly Goldberg Sloan, starring Whoopi Goldberg, Ted Danson, Will Smith, Neil Long, Paul Rodriguez, Jennifer Tilly, and Sean Levy. Yes, that Sean Levy is in this movie. A young black woman discovers that her father was a sperm donor, and if that weren't bad enough, he's white. <laughs> Aaron, you, you you have thoughts on uh, Made in America. Yeah, I do. So I had never, I, I had known of this movie. I'd seen like parts of it in Pete because it used to be like on WGN or whatever at, point, at times. Channel nine. But I'd never actually like seen it beyond. And I just knew it was like, oh, that's that Ted Dance and Whoopi Goldberg thing that like Will Smith has like a small role in or whatever. So I finally saw it during the pandemic age during a lockdown at some point. It was on whatever canopy or whatever it was. I, I, I watched it. And um, for one thing, I liked it as far as being a pretty straightforward comedy featuring people that are generally funny or what have you. Mm-hmm. Didn't realize it was actually.
actually a Nia Long movie that is happened that happens to have her parents as the you know who are famous, and then and Will Smith as reliable as I'd expect him to be it as a supporting comedic role um, at that time in his life. I I don't have like great takeaways from it as far as what it's trying to accomplish. Myself being a, being of mixed race uh, with a with black and white parents, it's like okay, that's like they made a movie and they tried to explore this in its own way. That's something. Um, it's not revolutionary as far as the comedy is concerned, but it has Whoopi Goldberg and Ted Danson doing stuff. Ted Danson's doing his best, I would say, being, you know, he's just coming off of the finale of Cheers and whatnot. Like, he's certainly a player at this point, just being his comedic self. And Whoopi Goldberg's doing, like, her... Ex- there, there's, like, really, there's, like, there's, like, street smart Whoopi, and there's, like, exacerbated Whoopi. This is certainly more, like, exacerbated Whoopi, as far as, like, dealing with, I have a daughter, and I got this this white guy that's entered my life, or what have you. It's like, alright, like, the mix is here, it's very sitcom not a movie I hated by any means, like I said, I liked it, it's not anything more than it is, but I I appreciated what it, the cast was bringing to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does its job. Alright, Scott? I haven't, I hadn't seen this film since home video. I did not see it in theaters. I was aware of it, and there was a lot of, it was one of the movies that I remember, the publicity, there was more publicity about the fact that Goldberg and and Danson had started dating in and yeah. around the making of the picture. And then, you know, the movie was almost an afterthought in terms of, you know, whatever. It's fine. You know, again, you know, not to be a broken record, but, you know, it's just a movie and it's small enough and concise enough to be offhandedly specific, you know, about its subject matter in a way that probably wouldn't in a conventional big budget four quadrant, whatever. You know, the fact that that Whoopi Goldberg is, you know, very outspoken about her blackness she runs a you know a store with you know art black artists and black art and and history and what have you and that's very much a part of her personality without it being a drama or a melodrama about that Mm -hmm. that's just of course that's that makes sense and even though obviously the film is very aware of you know, the mixing of the races, shall we say, it certainly has no interest in really being a serious drama about that. In fact, if anything, that's sort of the thesis statement of the film that, you know, however naively, that we've progressed so much that we can, you know, that this can be a story where it's acknowledged, but not really a major stumbling block. You know, only in America, you know, something of this nature. That being said, it is very well acted. I was amused watching Will Smith very convincedly play a gawky, nerdy high schooler when, you know, less than two years later, he's going to be the fucking stud muffin of all time mm-hmm. running down the street bare chested and, you know, uh, Michael that Bay's is. bad boys looking a good, you know, 10 years older. You know, Danson can do this kind of thing in his sleep, and it's to his credit that he doesn't. One thing I did like about the ending is it's very low key. Yes, you know that eventually they're going to grow apart and that he's going to come in and, arrive at a climactic moment, but it almost happens very offhandedly. You know, he sort of just very casually, I assume some of you have seen this if you're listening to this, so spoilers, there's a happy ending. It's at her graduation and he doesn't make a big deal about showing up. It's just, he, you know, he very quickly makes his way to the front to help Whoopi Goldberg, whose leg's been injured, you know, up to the stage dog or daughter. That's that's it. That's that's. Mm-hmm. It's you know, a nice, I, I agree. Yeah. It's a nice ending as far as what it's the the low stakes um, yeah and, and that's what i i one thing i did enjoy is it's, it is a very low stakes picture 
and even you know it's 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 yeah it does the whole oh she got into a car accident a climactic moment if that's gonna bring everybody together but that was a cliche back then and it's effective it's a it's a good storytelling tool to bring you know to you know it's shorthand you know coyote ugly did the same thing <laughs> there's a movie you probably haven't thought about in 20 years coyote um, ugly and made in america yes double feature but other than that i don't have a ton to say about it other than again it's 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 the kind of movie that it's just a movie about normal blue collar people who live normal lives and happen to have this one very unusual quirk in their existence and that provides the comedy and the conflict and in the proverbial olden days that was enough mm-hmm. yeah it was it's the kind of movie that was like well i want to go see a movie this weekend or something there or you know you're perfectly fine waiting for it for vhs and it wasn't going to end the world because some people were going to go see it. like it, it, it wasn't yeah. going to be this smash or anything like that but like i know it was fine for that now you'd be like now he's like we must save cinema in this genre by going to this movie. You you wouldn't have to worry about everyone going to see it, but they'd check it out at some point. And the rental market was big enough to to make a dent in it as well. And I had interest in this movie when I was at this at back. I was eleven years old because Will Smith was in it, and I watched. I was a big fan of the Fresh Prince and Blossom block of television back in the day. You know, whoa, and all that stuff. But. uh <laughs> Fresh Prince was more, you know, Blossom was just the warm up for Fresh Prince. Like that's pretty much what it was. But love Will Smith, and it's it's neat to see here that he's doing a. He could have just done his Fresh Prince thing here, and he's not. He's a different kind of like goofy character that works here. And uh, yeah, because I remember seeing the trailer and be like, "What was that? Will Smith? Was that? I gotta see that. I guess I rented it, and I didn't go to the theater, but." Kind of nifty, but yeah, um, I don't want to repeat what you guys said a lot, but one thing I noticed with this movie that I like when you guys were touching on about Whoopi Goldberg's character, it's just kind of like the details of things are there, but I also like that this is not your typical like white person, black person pairing where this is what black people do, this is what white people do, isn't it crazy? There's not a whole lot of that. The big moment of culture clash is she takes him out for sushi and he's never had sushi. Yeah, and that, that's not that's neither or <laughs> it's just people you know she's a more it's more that she's a more cultured individual she's almost like it's like a, it's she's like a hipster she rides her bike and, and um, he's like a wacky car used car salesman like, yeah an un, uncultured burgers and fries guy not just because he's like white or anything but like that's just, like a lothario like that's yeah like well uh, jennifer tilly's his girlfriend here and everything mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's got Jennifer Tilly. Um, there, there's actually some really good stuff from Danson in his moments of guilt uh, yeah. when he kind of goes back to Tilly. It's really like, oh, whoa, did we just switch genres? <laughs> like, did we get really dark here? And I, I think that it, it's buried in what this movie is. It's like you said, it's Nia Long's movie, and she's great in it. And this movie should have been, I guess, you got to sell at this well, time. Yeah, Danson and, and Goldberg yeah. is like is disguising this movie that's actually like hers, a hundred percent. And I like how it plays with the whole thing where, you know, you can't have teens breaking into a place and finding the right information, like screw it up or find it, you know, they screw up. And it's got good moments of just general and um, some endearing moments um, that really that really work really well. And it's it's just like it's a fine movie. I don't want to be like, oh, this movie is fire. It's great. But I enjoyed going back to it. Uh, like I didn't remember a whole lot from it because I wa- I hadn't seen it probably since I rented it on VHS. But it's a really fine little movie. Like it's yeah, it's you know what a great what three star movie. Like that is that what we would yeah. call that there. Um, like 
two minor things I like to point out just because they abused me. Mm-hmm. A, I like the breakup scene between him and Jennifer Tilly. It's like incredibly good hearted and sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, you know, he's trying to, you know, yeah, it's, it's very, it's a very mutual breakup in a way that's very, you know, very funny in a sweet, harmless way. The other thing is there's a scene where, you know, she gets what she th- what the young woman thinks are photos of her late father, and it's O.J. Simpson, <laughs> which made a lot more sense in the summer of 1993. That funny guy from the, the Naked Gun movies. Yes. That funny guy. From so you got yeah. right under the wire there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> there's a couple times where it goes as i recall it's been a couple years uh, i didn't rewatch it for this podcast because i've seen it recently but like what there's uh they're trying to do like and it's it's this weird like if you have a car salesman movie that means you have to have like a live commercial moment or something like this yep, like yep. when, when it comes to any movie involving car salesmen they're like the big Dirty work. Here, we're doing the live commercial that you're all aware of apparently and this one has what him like he's in, there's like various ones, aren't there? He's like dressed mm-hmm. as like a clown or something, or like he gets on a bike that has no brakes, and there's like an elephant mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a whole culture that's not there anymore. Like that used Clearly. to that used to really be it because they had to have their sales for the weekend. You know, they do these stupid local commercials, get them up, and you always knew who the owner was. He was wild and crazy. Because I yeah, <laughs> I've seen I've seen those kinds of commercials. Yeah, but I've but I've never seen the like live event commercial that has been in like mm. this dirty work used cars the goods live hard sell hard like there's so many like movies where this this concept is a main plot point I'm like this was a thing we were just shooting live commercials like that was a big thing i guess so right yes true yeah like come on I mean, did did you ever find untraceable bearer bonds i never got any untraceable bearer bonds <laughs> despite what the movie told me that they were everywhere everywhere <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh my! But oh uh, yeah, this is a sweet little movie. Um, not. I mean, you can find it. It's currently not easy to find, but I think it's on like one rental place. But it'll be back. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I did like Made in America. Just it's it feels just casual about everything, which is nice. It's not trying to. Not trying to change the world, just trying to tell the story. Not trying to be overtly like, "Look what I just discovered." It's the kind of movie that ends happily if, with credits playing over everybody dancing. Yes, yeah. that's, that's the kind of movie it is. Exactly, <laughs> credits exactly. in front of everybody dancing and singing on stage at a graduation or something like that. Like everyone's having a good time. <laughs> I was surprised how much I enjoyed it this time. Yeah. Was it a liked movie? Like, did it, I mean, we'll talk about box office later, but was it like? Was I think the reviews were pretty indifferent. Yeah, that sounds about right. But again, I mean, you know, it's, I think the extent that it's aged well, it's it's just a movie, and you know, if you know, I probably should record myself saying it and just hit play because you know, again, a movie that could be this small and this culturally and demographically specific mm-hmm. without making that the core of its being and its success or failure was not going to endanger anything else. You know, it's not like, Oh no, if this movie flops, we'll never, Whoopi Goldberg will never work again. Spoilers. She worked again. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's just a nice, sweet little movie mm-hmm. from a time when I think when I say we, I mean, white people were a bit more optimistic about, you know, general progress still continuing ever upward it's it's optimism is very clintonian 
in that, you know, even if that's false nostalgia in retrospect, like something like Dave or, you know, later Independence Day or Air Force One, there is, you know, very much a certain pre-9-11 mindset that, you know, we were nearing the end of history and we were going to have a happy ending. Right. Yeah. The 90s was like, well, is this it? I guess we just sit here and let <laughs> let us get to yeah. the end. You know, sort of the, the final conflict was the Cold War and then it ended. And now we were just we were in that the epilogue. We went and got some oil. Then for, for we elected George and... W. Bush. But I digress. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Monday, it's the season finale to end all finales. You'll see explosive drama. Did a terrible thing, Ruthann. Death-defying feats. <gasps> Plus music, music, music. Got to see. Don't miss the unforgettable season finale of Northern Exposure Monday. Ted Danson. He had the uh, most watched program on TV last week, but would he have it again this week as we head on to the Nielsen ratings for this? I think it's the series finale. I'm guessing no. Well, no, yeah. No. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't watch that show after Cheers? After Cheers. <laughs> well, you mean Frasier? Right. <laughs> <laughs> there were, well, yeah, Frasier was ready to go right after. That was yeah. true. So uh, this week, uh, number one programming was everyone watching Susan Lucci lose for the 14th time on the daytime <coughs> Emmys on ABC. Uh, number two, ABC also had Roseanne. Number three, Triumph Over Disaster on NBC. What's we that? Had, uh, Triumph Over Disaster. What was that? The news show or something? I think it was a movie, a TV movie or something. Triumph over Disaster. Uh, it was... Curious. Oh, the Hurricane Andrew story. Oh, Andy. Yeah. Um, yeah, starring uh, Ted Wass, Bryn Thayer, Veronica Cartwright, John Getz. Yeah. Oh. Jill yeah. Shulin was in it. Yeah, I should watch that. Um, yeah. It's, uh, you know, those hot topic TV movies, you got to get to them. Relationship problems between a father and son. On, it's available completely on YouTube. Mm. So I'm going to call your bluff. Gotcha. All right. Um, expect the full report next week. Gotcha. Well, Interesting. Once you, get, once you get your report on the treaty, it will be, will be, will be even Stevens. Even Stevens. That's a different show. It didn't air in 1993. So uh, number four, we have a, there's a tie. I didn't know this happened in Nielsen there's Radio. Ties? <laughs> yeah, there's a tie. Beverly Hillbillies on CBS and Seinfeld on NBC tied for the fourth spot. Beverly Hillbillies. Beverly Hillbillies was still on. No, no, there was a right. there was a reboot, the relaunch oh, of Beverly, Hill, uh, Beverly relaunch Hillbillies. Hillbillies. That makes more sense. It had, uh, I think, it had Dietrich Bader in it. The, oh, he wow. was in the movie. He was in the show. Oh, he's in the movie. Oh, the, um, or the, you know what they might have been doing? I think yeah, the movie, ca- the movie. Yes, they, I think they did reruns of the show before the movie on like Friday nights. So what we're doing? We're getting to the summer and. That's that what. Well, there was a there was a TV special, The Legend of the Beverly Hillbillies. Maybe that's getting uh, the Nielsen's just listed it as that. It aired as a documentary. When did it air? Let's see here. There's no air date for it, but it's just says it's yeah. Because that makes sense. The movie came out in October of this mm-hmm. summer. Or of this year. Uh, so we don't have to talk about this movie. <laughs> My God. It's no, a- I, I, it's. It's a movie. It's a movie. So, anyway, uh, number six is 2020, the 15th anniversary on ABC. 
that's number seven, Northern Exposure on CBS. Number eight, Home Improvement on CBS. Number nine, Love, Honor, Obey, Part Two on CBS. And Designing Women rounds out the top ten on CBS. So that's the that's your top ten. The ratings welcome. You know what? I wish I had my tarantula like on my chest just to put the camera down. Butter, 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 Super Mario Brothers is our next movie. Super Mario Bros. The movie from Hollywood Pictures, Amer- America's favorite game is now the movie event of the summer. It's super fun. Jump! It's super excitement. It's incredible. It's super action. Hello, morons. Hello. It's Super Mario Brothers. Plumbers. 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 You got a problem with that? Don't miss the adventure that jumps to the ultimate level of excitement. Super Mario Brothers. Rated PG parental guidance suggested. Now playing at a theater near you. Directed by Annabelle Jankel and Rocky Morton. Husband and wife. It kind of sounds like Rick and Morty in one name. Written by Parker Bennett, Terry Runt, and Ed Solomon. Starring Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo, Dennis Hopper, Samantha Mathis, Fisher Stevens, Richard Edison, Fiona Shaw, and, if you stay till the end, Lance Henriksen. Two Brooklyn plumbers, Mario, or Mario, and Luigi. They're from Brooklyn? Yeah. <laughs> How did you know? You know, I I had, you know, I it helped, you know, you have subtitles on, you can find those out. Uh trivia track, right? So, Mario and Luigi must travel to another dimension to discover or to to rescue a princess from the evil dictator King Koopa and stop him from taking over the world. This is uh the this this was a movie with all the hype in the world. I had Nintendo Power back then. Yep. They were covering the shit out of this movie. Uh, I, yeah, the subscription. I actually got that thing in the mail. I, Despite what I was seeing, I was still excited for it. And man, it was another... Back back in 93, I'll talk differently about it now. This was the, the kind of thing we always got as kids. This thing we desired, a movie version of something we love, live action, and like not what we were <laughs> wanting at all. Scott... Did you go to the theater for Mario? Yes, I saw it on Monday the weekend. Mm-hmm. I had already read my share of reviews, and certainly I had seen the stills and the previews, and I realized this was going to be even more unfaithful than the He-Man movie from six years prior. Although I have a certain I had a certain fondness for Masters of the Universe, but I digress. Same. Um this you know, everything you've heard about this film is true. <laughs> this is no oh, oh it's an underrated this or it was unappreciated its time or it's aged well because of it's it's i've seen it a few times once in theaters actually i think i watched it 10 years ago for its 20th anniversary just out of curiosity i borrowed somebody's dvd and i just it is bad to a shocking degree i mean you almost have to work to be this hectic and frantic and busy, but also boring as unbuttered toast. You had your share of arguably the fact that you're this cat while saying all this is just making it sound so <laughs> pretentious. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
you had your share of overstuffed and overproduced blockbusters in the early 90s. Films like Hook, and I love it, but you know, Batman Returns, that's a pretty yeah. overstuffed picture. It works, but Super Mario Brothers is another because we can, we did, even though we probably shouldn't type. Just it's not even, you know, oh, it's it's art direction. It looks like Blade Runner meets Batman meets Mario Brothers. It honestly, it looks like just somebody just vomited up mushrooms on the entire set and called it a day. It is ugly. It is unpleasant to look at. The actors are miserable, which apparently they were miserable. If I recall, uh, Oscar's claim production <laughs> turned into an alcoholic just to get through the day. Oh, yeah, he turned into one that big British <laughs> man. He, he never touched. He had never had a drop before. <laughs> okay, trust, afraid trust, trust the fungus. I'll trust my spirits in my drink. <laughs> I mean, I wish I could say something thirty years later about how this part is aged well, or this is interesting from a time capsule point of view. But this film fucking sucks. I mean, it's one of the. I mean, even now, hindsight. You know, whatever. It's one of the worst mega budget, you know, adapt a popular movie into popular thing into a movie movies ever made. It is the characters don't act like the characters. The random references the game barely make sense, even when they are there. Den, you know, the, the it's the God. It's just I'm 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 every time I watch it, and this time. I don't know if I should confess to piracy on this podcast, but I did watch the extended work work print edition, which it's is not, the same. It is film. not available to purchase anywhere. So it's what can you do? the same movie. It's just 20 minutes longer. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually interesting. Not that I would suggest you do this, but it's an interesting study in terms of just by cutting, you know, nips and tucks, bits and pieces, a shot here, a line there, without really cutting any major scenes, you make mm-hmm. a film 20 minutes shorter. Mm-hmm. But as for the picture, I mean, this is the film that basically started the quote unquote video game curse. This is why Nintendo basically said, okay, we're not doing that again. And it really does live up to its reputation. It is cinematic feces. Oh, wow. This I don't, I don't know. I've heard Scott talk. We've watched some shit before on this summer of uh, summer of series, and this is the most vile. I'm glad you had the cat to comfort you during a lot of that. But Aaron, uh, Super Mario. Well, first, I want to make an addendum to uh, Big Daddy Summer um, because this we have Carnosaur, we have this movie, and we have Jurassic Big Park. Dino Summer. Big Dino Summer. Um, that's that's where we're going with now. Uh, Big Dino Summer. That just makes more sense to me. Uh, I I um, disagree with Scott. (laughs) And that might not have been the case a week ago before I watched this again. Not to the extent that he's gone. He's just, you know, being a drama queen. But uh, I certainly have never been huge on the movie. But having watched it again, and now I saw it in theaters. I rented the VHS. At the time, it it was less of a... I don't like this movie and more of a, I don't recognize what this is exactly, but I'm certainly intrigued by it. But all in all, it's still not good compared to something where like at my age hook, which I've never been a fan of. I was like, this is bad. This is a bad movie. What's we, what are we doing here? Uh, watching this. I'm not that guy. I'm not a, I'm not a hook guy, uh, but watching Super Mario. I was like, I mean, 
there's something going on with this, but my mind at this age can't quite process like what we're doing <laughs> as far as why it's so different than what I would expect a Super Mario Brothers to be. But like you, Brandon, I did have Nintendo Power. I had the Nickelodeon magazine. Mm-hmm. I, I remember specifically the John Leguizamo interview in the Nickelodeon magazine, uh, like talking about <laughs> doing Super Mario Brothers, which was more positive than what he'd say outside of the realms of the Nickelodeon magazine. But yeah, seeing the movie enough, you know, I don't, re- it's not like I revisited a bunch because I don't, but I watched the work print cut during the pandemic when it came out. It was like in an article something and there's a link and you can watch it, uh, which I found interesting because it has more stuff that, does often what Scott talks about as far as movies that are set up for the next movie that show you what it would be like. Cause there's a lot of like the things that would make them into the Mario brothers. Like there's a whole chase scene where the Mario music plays and everything. There's like stuff going on where it's like, Oh, this would have, I, I see what they were. You can see more of what they were going for, despite all the problems on set, which well, that there's hurt. a lot of musical cues that are. aren't in the theatrical that are in that long extended yeah, that, cut. that are from yeah. Mario and yeah. feel like, well, clearly they had an idea of how to meld their vision with the actual mm-hmm. game of Mario. The studio just didn't like it. Uh, regardless, I watched this movie again the other day, and I'm not going to say it's like great or that I'm going to join the cult that exists for this film that's around it as far as the cult audience. But I found myself liking it more than I ever have just because, for one thing, it's worn me down because that's just how things go sometimes, except for something <laughs> like Hook. Uh, but... but, um, but um, you Scott, you talk about like the problems of these kinds of things or what have you when you look at this movie, and I'm not going to say it's not garish in its own way, but it does have its own identity, and it's never not interesting to me. I didn't find I don't find it boring. Granted, I wasn't watching it as far as like I need to stare my eyes at the screen for a hundred minutes and make sure I'm getting every single detail. But like watching it, I was just so used to seeing this movie and seeing Dennis Hopper doing what Dennis Hopper's doing here, and seeing Bob Hoskins and John Gazamo managing their own chemistry like regardless of what they're how good they feel but i do think they have chemistry together it just came together to, and like just the details of while it's not the mushroom kingdom that i'm well you know that's colorful and whatnot it's still its own weird like blade runnery thing where it just had a lot of personality in it that i kind of appreciated and i matched that against something like uncharted or tomb raider which i just find fucking generic as hell and it's like yeah give me this at least because like there's something going on here even if it's a mess or chaos at least it feels like there were two people that came in and it's like i have a specific vision for this thing i can't say that that uh ruben Zombieland had an idea for uncharted uh beyond i guess we'll just storyboard some stuff and throw a bunch of cg on it and hope that the stars chemistry saves the day it doesn't this feels like you know i'm not gonna say it doesn't feel like a movie it doesn't feel like a three-star fine movie but it feels like hey they tried something it was a weird experiment went wrong and i mean it's not my part it's not it doesn't it doesn't make a difference to me what the production was like because it's the movie's the movie but it's a weird mess of things that I can't say, you know, it's great, but I can't say I hate it either. Like, I, I've seen plenty of video game movies, ones that are supposedly good, given the audiences that they get, that feel generic as hell to me, where this feels like something at least outside the box. And, you know, we're, we're talking about this now, and by the time this is released, who knows? We'll all be, like, super fans of Illumination all of a sudden, because they finally cracked the code on making a Mario <laughs> Brothers movie. Uh, but as it stands right now... I, I don't hate this. I, it's it's whatever, but it's not it's not something I hate because I find it too watchable in its own weird way. 
Ironically, that's how I feel about Hook, <laughs> which I don't love, but... If that movie you know, was 90 I, minutes, I might feel that way. Yeah, yeah the second fucking, act is where it's... 17 very, hours, and that's the problem. Right. That, that, that middle act is just pure chaos and Neverland is... I, I, yeah, I, mean, I, know, I, know my, I know my Bob Hoskins kids' movies. It's Who, <laughs> Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Super, <laughs> Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Unleashed, Super Mario Brothers, and then Hook. Uh, uh, Those four. So, I mean... <laughs> A second. <laughs> I, I watched this thing again. I, I, if you want to look for it, I, my old show did an episode uh, dedicated to Super Mario Brothers because I owed Jessica picking a movie, and she wanted to talk about this one because she was a child when this came out, the perfect age for it to happen. This is like 100% a, a disaster and bad and stuff, but I've aged into this is what happens to me with these things is like, I don't like it. I don't, you know, and they start to become fascinations of like, how can you fuck this up so bad? Like watching just that. <laughs> but I, I, I'll, and I'll give this movie credit. They went all in on something. They spent a lot of money and it's there. Like, yeah. I don't question that people weren't spending money or weren't like coming up with stuff. And cause there's a lot of effects. There's a lot of insane. like, I know it'd be cool to go look at that set in the Koopa Land. Just to I'm be sure like, the extras what? had a blast. It's so detailed <laughs> down to, I mean, Grant, it's got saying it's not fun to look at. No, but like, it, it's so detailed. There's I don't like, think it's someone... any less fun to look at than Blade Runner. Like, yeah. I mean, if you're standing in that set, I mean, yeah, yeah shot differently, but like in terms of yeah. just the production design, it's not, it's not like that world looks any better than this world. Yeah, it does. Like, so this movie always whips me up. And, like, it starts out, fine for me it's not what i wanted it's not good but like even in these watches but then it gets to it has some excruciatingly boring sequences that pop up here and there there's a middle uh, that's like there's a, like chunky. yeah just like what is the first of the second act yeah like real, real, real quick can we but, talk about the opening of this movie <laughs> it needs yeah. to make sure that you're like dealing with New York, but also the fact that dinosaurs once existed. So right. it combines those two. And it's like millions of years ago. And it has this, like, this big like New York accent. <laughs> but also, like, who played Mario and was like, those things, those are all dinosaurs? Is that what those are? Like, where do they, t- like, I know there's a dinosaur craze going on. In the night, because they found some like bones and whatnot, and then Jurassic Park just added to it. But like, and they even have open the door, get on the floor, everybody. Yeah, it's where they couldn't justify the idea of making people into mushrooms. So they just like, well, there's fungus, yeah. but also they're mostly dinosaurs. No, no duck things to go through with shells. Like, I, <laughs> all that. It's still all this New York stuff that so amused me. It's like, oh, the Scapellis are here. We oh yeah, the Scapellis. <laughs> That's Capelli. He's gonna. That's the one nice thing I will say, in that it's it's specifically blue collar. And Mario's girlfriend. Oh, Mario, what's going on? In a way that again we used to take for granted that yes, the Super Mario Bros. movie would start with basically, you know, a labor conflict. Mario's girlfriend, you would think is like, oh, that's probably some like actress that's probably bigger now, some character, and it's like not. It's like someone that has almost no credits, and you're like. Did they did they Simone this? Did they just make like the most New York girlfriend possible for Mario? She was, I like, say she, she was like cocktail girl number six in Goodfellas. Like that's yeah. what, like you know that's what she kind of you think. Um, yeah. and you're right. The first act, I, I think the first meet cute between Leguizamo and Morton is 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 cute. Mm-hmm. 
uh, more more Mathis. I mean, Mathis, sorry. It was, and yes, the woman that plays Mario's girlfriend is relatively amusing. Well, um, dude, Hopper's all in here. Like he's entertaining for me in this. Like yeah, he is. He's, he's not. This isn't King Koopa. Like it doesn't resemble. Like it's bullshit. But <laughs> at least Hopper is all in. Like that. I think in retrospect, what bothered me then, and as, I mean, especially then, because I didn't know better, it's like the whole film felt like something that I didn't really even have words for at the time. But now it sort of felt, felt like a very early generic blockbuster of the movie. You know, something like Burton's Planet of the Apes or All Due Respect, John Carter, where it's 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 basically a Mad Libs variation of that kind of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't disagree with the logic you're applying, but it's like there's no movie that looks like this, <laughs> like beyond beyond one of the greatest sci fi movies of all time. I mean, it's like I, you want to talk about blockbuster the movie. That's why I mentioned Uncharted. There is nothing personality well, I don't like uncharted either no because it's, it's bad but, yeah. there's no, but there's no there's no sense of like anything personal about that from the filmmaker from the actors anything it feels like yeah we take popular guy popular guy we need a villain antonio he's around yeah put him in there where are they a jungle whatever uh, here's some set pieces action uh does it look like the game i guess because we're just it's a redundant copy of a copy of a copy as far as the plotting and the, the mechanics go like this is like I don't know. Like, there's no one word to describe Super Mario Brothers the movie. <laughs> well, I mean, this is the thing where we've gotten the furthest from when it comes to like adaptation stuff. Like, we are now too beholden to the material where we don't let people have a vision for it. There's no, we don't like changes because we were so stricken with stuff like this. Where it's like, I, I don't need something to follow to a T. I like this, but man, this is like way off. This is like too far oh, yeah. i don't i don't dis- too it's far. Like, yeah, it doesn't help it that it's so far away as much as it doesn't hurt it it's just like i don't know why but like at least there was someone that had an idea that said this as opposed to here's the template let's match all the pieces to it was like, like when, when someone was like when someone told you to write a mario movie what did you <laughs> do what did you pick up to research like this is like it's kind of like did you just read the booklet like did you Play the game. Like, where where did we go here? What did we? <laughs> did you buy the fruit snacks? Like, I mean, kind of like I don't know how the screenwriting process goes, but like Ed Solomon's on this, who did Bill and Ted or whatnot. Like, you know, he wrote Men in Black. Men in Black's not like the comic Men in Black. You know, it's just like yeah, he learned from Mario. Yeah, it, no, I mean, better. yeah, it's just like police aliens. Cool. Like that's it. Like there's no real the source fidelity he was going for. Yeah. I think part of it is, and you know, if I recall. You had some filmmakers that very much wanted to make it like the game, and some filmmakers that wanted to make sort of a weird dystopian Blade Runner, but for kids. Someone took their already done do- screenplay and threw <clears throat> Mario in it. Yeah, and I think I certainly don't mind that. Oh no, it's not faith of the game, whatever. But I do think, as far as it having a vision, I think the big, one big problem is that it's two very distinct visions that get smushed together with no rhyme or reason or all due respect, much thought into making that actually mesh into a coherent whole. And that's why I think the film feels so numbingly chaotic to me. I think it's by default very generic. I think it just feels not, you know, it's not well accomplished as far. I don't see two. I see one vision. I just don't, it's just not gelling very. I don't, I don't see what it's bumping up against. (laughs) It's just, it's just, it's not a great movie by any means. Well, and it just, you just don't feel any sort of master craftsmanship with, with things in it as well. Just like 
the action scene, like when they do the jet pack, it feels phony. It, uh, or the, the, sorry, the, the shoes and stuff like every, it just, I don't know. It, yeah, like I said, it feels like blockbuster, the movie, like in a way that I think like Scott mentioned masters of the universe at least feels like it functions. Like, I, I don't know why. Yeah, I there are like, better, there are better versions of applying a personality to something. Yeah. Like, yeah. This movie's not good, but it's, it's still to be watchable at least. <laughs> yeah. Like I, yeah, this, I, I don't know. It's if you're telling me that there is a selection of all the bad video game movies and boy, is that a large selection? I, I wouldn't be averse to having this towards the top of that pile compared to a lot of other ones that are out there. See, here's the thing with this one that I'm going to give it credit for over a lot of the other bad ones. It's fascinating to see this. Like, there, it's whacked. It's weird. It's bad. It's a, a mess. It's not like what you're thinking it should be going in. It's a lesson in what not to do. And it's got all that. You're watching Uncharted, you're just bored to tears. Like, there's no anything there's We're coming down so hard on uncharted movie that made sucks. like 300 million dollars you're not <laughs> wrong it sucks. i was eh, i can come down on the other mark Wahlberg video game movie max Payne, which is one of the worst things that happened oh yeah that that's <laughs> bad that that's also on the list um, a movie where they're like what's max Payne do well he shoots people with two guns often okay what should we do in the movie what if we had not no that. action what if we didn't have action in it like, <laughs> But suppose he didn't do that thing. What did I tell you right up front? Well, his family was killed, and now he's on a murderous rampage. And it's like, well, what do we do in the movie? What if we held that back for like an hour? (laughs) Save it for next time. That's what we do. But no, yeah, this one, yeah. And it kind of feels like it's weird that the next, was the next video game movie Mortal Kombat? Street Fighter. Street Fighter. It's Street Fighter or or Double Dragon, like one of the. Double Dragon was first. Okay. By like. A little bit. Well, Mortal Kombat, Kombat would come along, and they have like Mortal the Kombat same, was ninety five. They have like the same ending, <laughs> Mario and Mortal Kombat. Well, and th- back then that Funny. was just a normal, fun way to end a movie. It didn't mean that they were like, "Oh my God, there's absolutely going to be a sequel," or they have a full idea in their head already of what the sequel's going to be. It's same thing with Batman Begins. He did, you know, nobody had written the Dark Knight beforehand. Yeah. It was just a fun way to end the movie. Well, it's just like, hey, you may leave the theater now, but. The world goes on. Yeah, but we can't exactly. accept that now unless we kill the character. So we're like, yes. it's over. It's Sadly, over. Mortal Kombat did want to cash that check. I mean, it's like, yes, we will pick up seconds after the first one <laughs> and give you exactly what that's going to be like. And it's Johnny, not no! compared to a movie that I like quite a bit. The first Mortal Kombat, not just for nostalgia, because I, but I think it's actually legit doing what it needs. No, to it's do. Oh, dude, Annihilation's that, hilariously that bad. Sequel, <laughs> it is hilariously bad on a different level. I than Mario. didn't actually see it until I think during lockdown. It's like, like oh, this is another one. Like, oh, that's this is bad as i've heard wow yeah it's i never what if mortal Kombat was power rangers if, there, if there's but one not thing that, that entertaining can, if I there's never, one thing that can rival the cg in spawn it's the cg mortal Kombat oh gosh <laughs> i never i never realized that james remar was a poor man's christopher lambert but i learned I that he is Ugh. I don't know that very well. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah, Mario Brothers. I man, I I can't get on. Like I want to get on board with the like goofy. Like it just does not. For me, it doesn't work. I think I'm not as hateful as Scott. I appreciate and I, I I agree with and res- I appreciate so the like, Aaron's points. But I'm like, I'm not gonna go with enjoyment or anything. But like, it just caught me in a good mood when I watched it. I guess every That's, every you know. Happens. Ben. Many years going back to this and going, oh yeah, this. There, there's stuff in here that, yeah, it's 
it's just weird. And then like the 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 little trinkets of like the stuff that should be regular in this movie are Easter eggs, which is a weird weird thing to do. Um, but I, you know, as for all Hoskins hated this movie, I don't think he's bad in it or oh, looks he's like fun he, in it. He's or looks like he's mad or anything like that. What's I, your name, Mario? What's your What's your last name, Mario? Mario. What's your name, Luigi? Solo. What's your last name? Are you Luigi Luigi? No, Luigi Marco. How many Marios? That's, that's classic comedy. <laughs> classic, yeah. Oh, oh, and Fisher Fisher Stevens. Out here. I forget. Yeah, Fisher Stevens is in this movie, and this like that like is it like at this point I'm like should Fisher Stevens be like better than this? <laughs> Well, no, time, because but... because a year ago he's playing in brownface still, so this is oh, exactly right. what he deserves. Okay, so, I'm sorry. no, Fisher is not should not okay. be better than this. <laughs> okay, I feel you know, felt terrible because I thought he was a you know an Indian man because I had first seen him in you know the, the short circuit movies. Uh-huh. <laughs> in his defense, in, in, Indian people thought so too. Really, that's he's, interesting. He's, ta- he's talked about how you know his how he feels about that now, but he's like, actually back in the day, I got people, they were surprised. I wasn't. Yeah. Um, so if there's one thing to see in that, the work print cut, it's Fisher Stevens and Richard Edson. Mm-hmm. They're, um, rapping number that they have. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of musical cues and songs gone from it too. It was yeah. like, well, I don't remember this song. In it this was more, it's more cartoony in their work print cut. Like yeah. I, yeah. I see what they're going. Like it's not better, but it's, I no. see what they're trying to do. <laughs> and like Scott said, it is a fascinating, like how you can give me a 90 minute movie. I don't want to put this thing up. Like, cause there's a lot of it cut. It, it's, a lot of breathing room, some little quirks and stuff, but like it's really trims to get that thing to shortest runtime and the as many screenings as you can get in a day. It's it's a hundred. I think the theatrical cuts like a hundred and something. Minutes. Minutes. It's not super yeah. short. Yeah, but it is a it is a display and showing because yeah. like, a lot of times because it'll come up with the work print still has the little counter at the bottom. Yeah, um, and you'll see it with like stuff. You're like, oh, that well. It was just that. It was just him walking through a door. Yeah, it was like a half a second reaction shot or something. Yeah, like there's one where like it was just the entrance was longer. They like started the scene with him going up the stairs, but this one began with him entering the door and running up. Like, just keep trimming here and there, taking off frames. It's going to be really sad when we finish this conversation and then have a much shorter conversation for something like Menace to Society. Yeah, that's true. Is that a segue? The amount of effort we're putting into the Super Mario Brothers conversation right now. Well, uh, but first, well, let's take out, let's look at the hits. You're the one that spent 20 minutes defending it, man. That's your fault. (laughs) I'm just giving it a pit. I don't need to defend any movie. All right. (laughs) Well, let's run down the Casey Kasem top four before we get to to that. Um, So you can get to that. Casey's biggest Number one again is uh, Janet Jackson's That's the Way Love Goes. Number two, Freak Me by Silk. Number three, Knockin' to Boots by H Town. Number four, we have Week by SWV. Their 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 hits switch this week, so Week is a higher one. Uh, Love is by Vanessa Williams and Brian McKnight is number five. Number six, Looking Through Patient Eyes by PM Dawn. Number seven, I'm So Into You by SWV. Number eight, Nothing But a G Thang by Dr. Dre. Number nine, I Have Nothing by Whitney Houston. And dropping in the top ten for the first time, Don't Walk Away by Jade. Don't walk 
away <clears throat> Some good top tens going on here. But now as Aaron foreshadowed Menace to Society. So what are you gonna do, KD? You gonna mess around out there in the streets till you get killed? What's that, sir? You gotta think about your life. Being a black man in America isn't easy. All I'm saying is survive. glad that you graduated from high school and that you're alive at 18 and you need to do something with yourself before you end up like he did i'm not gonna end up like he did all right mother mother there's too many of you crying brother 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 there's far too many of you dying you know we Oh, man, you know I'm down, but I also know that life has better things to offer than what's on the street out there. Why are you so worried about me? So you can Why shouldn't I be? Menace to society. The hunt is on, and you're the prey. Directed by Albert and Alan Hughes, the Hughes Brothers. Written by Tiger Williams on a story by the Hughes Brothers and Tiger Williams. Starring Tyron Turner, Lawrence Tate, Samuel L. Jackson, Anthony Johnson, Candy Alexander, Reginald Ballard, Jada Pinkett-Smith, Bill Duke, and Charles S. Dutton. A young street hustler attempts to escape the rigors and temptations of the ghetto in a quest for a better life. Aaron, do you, want, do you want to praise this like it's Mario, or where are we going with this? <laughs> the, the the refrain that gets in my head when I think about this movie is when like John Cusack and Con Air is describing Ving Rhames, his character, and he has like a book, and he says, uh, like, Newsweek called it a wake-up call. And that's what I think about this movie, as far as the kind of intensity that it's laying on there, and mm-hmm. the you know authenticity that it's going for as far as depicting a certain style of of living in the ghetto you know you have a movie like this that's coming after a number of like hood movies at this point where you have like deep cover and new jack city but most notably you have boys in the hood uh which is a movie that's for the most part hopeful in the midst of Mm -hmm. drama that's taking place and people characters that are dying you have a movie that is still built on the message of hope alan and albert hughes not being cynical, they're being more pragmatic and realistic, essentially, as far as depicting something that's about gang violence and and what it is to live in an area that is not forgiving. Um, it is not one that is simply going to roll over and let you go. It's one that's going to have consequences and things to be really dealing with that are not simple and don't have easy answers to them. Uh, you have some really strong performance, like in the midst of there's a lot of what I like is there's a lot of com- I like this movie a lot, by the way. I think this movie is fantastic. Um, it's just as good, if not better, than Boys in the Hood, a movie that I also really like. Um, and a lot of it comes down to Boys in the Hood is more of a formal film. It feels, you know, as if John Singleton is doing something in the realms of like, well, yeah, my heroes are Spielberg and, you know, I like Stand By Me and it has mm-hmm. this coming of age quality to it. 
this is the Hughes brothers are like Scorsese rules. Like they and they have a lot of style. They're like Good Goodfellas is very much an inspiration for like their some of their at least some of their style on this. So maybe that's very stylish. Has a lot of art design efforts going into like how they're building their production, how they're angling scenes or what have you. It feels like a movie that's very much trying to capture something that's more than just here it is. It wants to like throw it in and put this a little style on there. And it has a number of performances that are quite good. I think Lorenz Tate, and this is his first movie, he is chilling in this film. He's Oscar-worthy, honestly. I was watching this, I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. As essentially a sociopath. I mean, like, it's a it's a really compelling performance. Uh, you you know, you have a, you already named the cast members. You had a number of people here that I think are all mm-hmm. largely very good. And the way it depicts the life here in a in a movie that's only ninety minutes without credits. Like I was, I, I forgot it's how fast. Like, There's a lot a real, that happens. A lot, a lot packed into a short running time. I like the way it goes about what it's doing. I like I like how it's telling the story. It ha- it's setting up certain things early on. It's giving you. And it, there's a lot of it, I know there's like an unrated cut that has more violence in it, but there's a lot of efforts to not show certain things to let your mind play with it. There's a whole opening sequence that's fantastic that lets your imagination go all further than the what the movie actually shows as far as a, a convenience store visit that goes terribly wrong there. I could just keep naming things about this, but I mean, I think the movie is really strong. I think the Hughes brothers make a this is a really great debut from them. Um, I really like dead presidents as well and i wish they kept going as far as making more and more stuff that delivered um that's a different conversation uh but as far as a debut film goes as far as one that deals with this specific subject matter and this kind of area this kind of this this time you know coming after Rodney king and things like that there's just a lot of really solid stuff going on here yeah this this movie's brutal like it's got a blunt honesty to it and it has i don't think I don't think the filmmakers have it, but they're just they're showcasing of a disregard for the value of life. It's chilling in this. Like Lawrence Tate and Samuel L. Jackson's characters in here, just one wrong word and you're gonna get just a load of bullets in you is insane. And it's done so effectively and just some people just some of the the characters around it just being like, dude, why you do that or something, you know, like it's crazy. Um, Lawrence Tate is scary in this thing because he is just such a off the hook nutbag who's a you know he's obsessed with the power he has with a gun in his hand. Um, he's modeled after this. like Joe Pesci's character in Goodfellas. Like, yeah, he's a, he's a live wire, and it's crazy too because it's so effective that you can see how it's ripe for parody. Uh, with the "Don't Be a Menace to the South Central While Drinking Your Juice in the Hood," which I saw first back in the day so when i saw this movie i'm like oh it's like the drama version of that because the one thing the the that we'd see with the um the weigh-ins when they would do the parody movies they would pick one and follow that script pretty much and then add in other things later but man there there is some just nutty stuff here like that opening sequence is unforgettable that's just one of the most memorable things and like you said not showing so her screams in the back getting the with the the way the guns firing just all that it's it's crazy and it you can see kind of see where this movie is gonna go but it still hurts when you get there like it's still um quite there like it yeah it's insane it's a hell of a debut i've been working on uh trying to put together together an episode of this show for like top uh film uh 
maybe I'll have recorded it by this time, but uh, top directorial debuts of all time, and this one definitely makes a case for being in that. But um, but yeah, Scott, what do you think of Menace 2? Uh, it holds up. I mean, even when it came out in the summer of 93, I remember the... To me, it seemed like it was being perceived and presented as a less compromising, less palpable to mainstream audiences version of the subgenre that we thought of with Boys in the Hood, South Central Juice, what have you. And then I think there weren't that many after Clockers, I think Spike Lee's version, which was, you know, even there it was sort of like, you know, now it's Spike Lee's turn to play in the sandbox. And of course, I think it's one of his best pictures, but I digress. The fil- Yes, I mean, I think you're right in terms of, you know, Boys in the Hood is a more traditional character study melodrama coming of age picture while boys in the hood is is you know a cross between a scorsese movie and something approaching a horror movie it is yeah it's incredibly randomly violent but it still maintains its value you know it's still a character piece through and through and having not seen it in a very long time, it was fun, all due respect, seeing, you know, Char- oh, it's Charles Dutton. It's Samuel Jackson. God, he was everywhere this year. Mm-hmm. It's National Lampoon Loaded Weapon Samuel L. Jackson. Ha. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I never knew because I saw this before Low Down Dirty Shame. So, oh, that's Jada Pickett Smith. Obviously, watching this film 30 years later, there's a, there's an undercurrent of oh, well, you know, things didn't really get that much better. This still sucks. But, you know, that's not obviously the movie's fault, but there's a certain grim fatalism, even more so than the film already is. Because it is, I would argue, above all else, a fatalistic picture. Yeah. And I'm not going to say it was made in response to Boys in the Hood, because that's probably not true. There's probably plenty of filmmakers that had thoughts on, you know, that particular, in that particular sandbox. But it did feel then and now as a a rawer and more, I don't want to say extreme, but yeah, extreme version of that kind of character study. Yeah, yeah uncompromising. Because it's just a, a a rubber band of a picture. Yeah, well, I mean, um, we had this explosion of what um, friend and guest of the show, David Banks, calls like these hood classics that came out in this time that just like all of them were just, maybe it's because cinema hadn't been in a widespread way showcasing these and opening people's eyes to like this these stories that could be told from there like that were different and fresh and stuff and they and they all ended up being quite good um it's another thing but uh, this way this era of like hood classics he, him and I talk about here and there quite a bit well, it's nice to see that like this and like deep cover both have criterion edition releases mm-hmm. now is it, yeah is there not only are they good they're they're good looking. Like this movie looks great. Oh yeah, this movie is a, it's a really well shot film. Like it's right. really that these guys are very they're very clearly visual filmmakers. It wasn't surprising to me for them to like direct from hell eventually. It's like well yeah they love comics. It's mm-hmm. very clear they love like imagery and certain things. Right. I wish that movie was better, but I'm not gonna mar- I'm not gonna knock it for the look of it. Like it's, right. it's certainly what they're doing as visual filmmakers. Well and uh, like I think the Raven. I think. Uh, um... <laughs> Boys in the Hood, like when 4K came out, that got a 4K really early on. Yeah, when that was coming out. So yeah, and Criterion, Criterion's been they they made it. They like a few years ago they stopped for a sec and said, you know what, we need to <laughs> broaden our we, horizons. Broaden our horizons. They really have 
put up. Yeah, Lorenz Tate has two movies on the Criterion now of this yeah. and Love Jones, and I'm like, cool, good for you, Lorenz Tate. <laughs> yeah, they yeah they've barely been making. Um, I like him. like I always liked him. I think he's a solid actor that doesn't get really the due, despite the fact that he's consistently working. But he mm-hmm. is great here. He's really good in Dead Presidents. I mean, he's he's, he's a good actor. Dead Presidents needs some love. That's a that's a cool one. Yeah, once um, Disney once the once the Disney Vault opens up for that one, we will go. <laughs> I, hey, they they opened up for Wally, so maybe the second could be the Criterion of Dead Presidents. That'd be that'd be very funny if Disney's two Criterions were Wally and Dead Presidents. <laughs> I'd take it. Oh, um, no, it's it's a hell of a film, and for better or worse, it has an age today. I was uh, I was watching the soundtrack of it, and I was like, I wonder if Big Daddy Kane's going to be on this soundtrack. He's around this time. And I'm like, well, no, he's a New York rapper. That doesn't make any sense. So no, it's mm, not a yeah. Big Daddy Summer movie. So we're still in Big Dino Summer. Big Dino Summer. Big, yeah. Uh-oh. But it is, we are like two for two as far as, well, the black movies are the living stylistic movies that I'm really enjoying. <laughs> right, right, right. No, this is, this is true. Your move, yeah. Robert Townsend. Yep, he's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I like I, the Criterion's got a really awesome edition of this. Um, and yeah, I've watched this one like twice now in the last two years for this and uh, that. And it's just this movie just under my skin. So it's effective. It's like you want to you want to watch it because this movie will always evoke those feelings for you. It's not one that I don't think you could numb to ever. It's still it's, it's one where like I'm very happy. It's like a triple play with this. Uh, for like the blue or the old blu-ray like this mm-hmm. set it off in friday it's like that's a nice like i can watch this which is intense i can watch set it i can watch friday i get because if, if i want to watch a chronological you watch friday because friday and friday is just fun and then set it off it's like gritty and intense as well but like it's just a nice like yeah this is a solid three movie pick deal from a new line over here for not watching House party movies, I guess. You know? Right. <laughs> well, I think, you know, not to paint with too broad a brush, but I think New Line was a studio like Fox Television in the early yeah. days, like UPN in the early days. We're like, okay, yeah. we will serve underrepresented demographics, and that's how we will stand out in a crowded marketplace. Yeah. And exactly. of course, once they got successful, you, you only got one more Rush <laughs> Hour sequel instead of more. <laughs> yes. You didn't get the prequel. Oh. <laughs> Lord of the, the Rings was the rush hour. It's crazy. Lord of the Rings is the biggest thing to happen to him, and it was the end too. And luckily, the like uh, like your Lions Gate, the Hunger Games didn't kill him. That and Twilight, they didn't go crazy. So, but Looking, yeah. just focusing back on Menace specifically again, the Criterion version, like it has these two commentaries from one from Alan Hughes and one from Albert Hughes, and it's it's funny thing because I do they hate each other. No, but they, well, they, they don't work together anymore. Um, but, but they are, as compared to like the Coens, who are very much like every time you hear someone talk about the Coens, they're like, yeah, they're like the same. Like, well, you talk to one, and like the other has like the same idea. Mm-hmm. The Hughes are different. They they are they're twins. They're actually twins, as opposed to just being brothers. And they are very of different. Like they have obviously they work together, but like they have different mindsets as far as how to like go about talking and explaining things. And so, because I was curious, like, why would they not just have them together in a commentary? It's because one is like more focused on story and ideas and the others focused on like, you know, like the other aspects of the film. And it's like, Oh, that's neat. I guess it's like just to hear differing perspectives from the two filmmakers that made this thing. I haven't listened to that. Um, it'd be funny They're if, they, if you both... synced them up and they sound like they were talking to each other during them. Well, they, 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 both they, have they a lot should to... like review each other's solo pictures. They both That'd have a lot fun. to say. 
Well, the, the, that that Ethan review. Of yeah, that's what I was thinking. Tragedy is really I don't know if I want to need to hear what like Albert has to say about Broken City with Mark Wahlberg. And <laughs> <laughs> Remember that's a movie that happened. We probably yeah. saw that together right? <laughs> ten years ago, right? Like Fox. <laughs> no, I did not do that. I did not do a press screening of that. I okay. waited for DVD. But yeah, that was ten years ago. All right. Well, we will uh, move on from this tale from the hood to um, a tale from the video store from Yancey Burns as he tells everyone in the summer's hot new segment, Yancey's Tales from the Video Store. Everyone on my list loves movies. That's why I go to Suncoast. They have the classics, sci-fi, action thrillers, holiday movies. At Suncoast, I got something for everyone. And, uh thing for myself there are over 10,000 great movie gifts at suncoast like cliffhanger starring sylvester stallone the action adventure speed starring keanu reeves and the action-packed epic gettysburg these and hundreds of other titles are on sale now at suncoast my friend uh i'm just gonna use one of my friend's stories uh my friend other friend uh, my other the other funniest guy i ever knew his name was arnie he worked for a while at this big barn of a video store called premier premier video in the south bay and he says that one afternoon he was sweating himself in the extremely large porno section. Now, if it was an independent video store, if it wasn't Blockbuster or Hollywood Video, mm-hmm. then most likely it was it was getting by. Even Video Archives was getting by on a huge porno section. Most of the rentals were were porn. You know, of course, yeah. no video. The video store had to survive against Blockbuster. It's going to carry porn. So he basically tells me that he spent half an afternoon looking in the adult section when someone had requested Slappy and the Stinkers, which is a, a little movie about a seal and some children. He thought Slappy and the Stinkers was a porno title, and he was looking for it in the adult section for some time. But that was kind of a funny little anecdote. That was the first That's one I good. thought of. I don't see you smiling, but you, you don't know Slappy and the Stinkers? No, I don't know Slappy. You know Slappy and the Stinkers. It would have been marketed right directly to you at oh, your gosh. age. Slappy and the Stinkers. I have not. I never quite bought this story. My friend Arnie is known for making it for for embellishing stories because they're funny, which I fully think is a great thing people can do because life is hard and Arnie's very funny. So if he wants to make shit up, he can. But um, that one I thought was funny. Slappy and the Stinkers. Now we move on to our headliner, Cliffhanger. Hang on for the ultimate adventure of the summer. Starts Friday, May 28th at a theater near you. Directed by Rennie Harlan. Written by Sylvester Stallone on a screen story by Michael France. And a premise by John Long. (laughs) This is cliffhanger. It's deep. Uh, Starring Sylvester Stallone, John Lithgow, Michael Rooker, Janine Turner, Leon, Rex Lynn, Caroline Goodall, and Zach Grenier. Grenier. Uh, a botched midair heist results in suitcases full of cash being searched for by various groups throughout the Rocky Mountains. Rocky Mountain High. So this That's terribly vague synopsis. Yeah. <laughs> so this was like this was a big comeback for Stallone mm-hmm. because he either critically or commercially was on a stretch of Cobra over the top. And I like some of these movies a lot. So it's Cobra, Over the Top, Rambo 3, Lock Up, Rocky 5, Tango and Cash, Oscar, and the previous film was 
stop or my mom will shoot. I own that same Blu-ray. Aaron's holding it up. I uh, bought it when it came, but it was announced. Cause that's it was on like, Blu-ray? Why? Take that, because True Lies. this was busy, Scott. So that's why. <laughs> so Stallone, this was this was a big this was a big movie of the summer. This is our. It worked. Um, this was rather decently reviewed and made some money, as we'll talk later. And I remember, and this odd, this was like a big title for this Sega CD. Like yes, it was. Launch, yes, it was. Push <laughs> title. Like this was one. Like yes. it had scenes from the movie in it. You could watch them in shitty. Like video, yeah. like a like that. Uh, what was the encyclopedia for computers that we all were like, "Oh, look, it's Kennedy speaking." Landing, I forget what those were called. Encarta, Encarta. But this was this was a big Sega CD. This one, like Sewer Shark, uh, and Echo the Dolphin, were like. The, but the commercials, <laughs> the commercials for Sega CD, it wasn't even like by Cliffhanger. It was just like this is one of the A type. Fuck Sonic. We got Cliffhanger. We got Stallone, and it was. Uh, I remember the game. It was everywhere, but. Uh, this movie. Fuck. I love that Sega. Sega took so many big Sega. swings with the consoles. They're like, mm. yeah, fuck it. Sega CD. Uh, we, the thirty two X. Thirty two X. Yeah, we'll just you put, just, a, you put thing. a thing on a thing. Like we probably remember the Sonic game. We put a thing on a thing. Now we have a whole console where you put a thing on a thing. They were video game duct tape, is what they were. Uh, got, yeah, put it all together. Dreamcast, we're dropping it next week. Great move for us. And 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 that it was work. not a great move. <laughs> I'm, re- I'm reading the book. It was not a great move. <laughs> I'm listening to the book. Was it Saturn? It was Saturn came before the Dreamcast, right? Dreamcast. Yeah. Saturn came yeah. Hey, the, the cool thing about the Dreamcast is you could use it as an emulator. That was a that was a cool thing. Hey, people hey. people people bought those up after Sega went out because you could do that. Like you could like put all the NES games on a on a CD. You could burn a CD with them and it would play them. I didn't have it, but I'll never forget nine nine ninety nine Sega Sega Dreamcast. There mm-hmm. it is nine nine ninety nine. What was it? Crazy Taxi was a big one. Crazy uh, Taxi. Virtual Fighter. Where's that fucking know. movie? That seems like a slam dunk. Yeah, Virtual yeah. Fighter. Crazy, Crazy taxi. taxi. <laughs> Wasn't that Jimmy Fallon and Queen Latifah? Yes. Based on the Luke Besson series. Yes. <laughs> All right. So Cliffhanger, I think this, I am a big Rennie Harlan fan. I think he is like one of, like if you want to talk God tier act 90s action directors, he is up there. Uh, this is on his ascent into greatness following like Die Hard 2. He had Elm Street and this was like, Look what I can do here on my own. This is a fun movie. There's, it's a unique action movie uh, of survival, terrorism, or not like, real terrorism, but you know those bad guys that cause trouble everywhere. It's got some good blood, some well thought out action scenes, some memorable stuff, and a fucking really good performance by Sylvester Stallone. Like he's very good in this movie. And uh, all look action- her eyes as she fell. Yeah, I think for the most part he's quite good. Rooker's all, oh, like Rooker's coming in hot for this movie, but oh, this, it works. This is, a, this is a very macho movie. Yeah, very macho movie. Um, but no, it's cool. It's got the. It's got. Remember the. I remember the logo was based on his jump. That was like the whole thing. Like I think they had like an animated like shadow of his jump to like make the logo. Take that skyscraper. Yeah, I think it really gives a good feel for the mountains and the the real heights with what it is like harlan's got he's talented um hopefully his strangers movies pan out but i liked most of what he's done up to like uh 
Well, and his exorcist was something, but I I did like the one with Cena. He did the was it twelve rounds? Twelve rounds, of course. Yes, cool movie. So, um, I like during this period. I like you know long kiss goodnight. Um, I I will I will I will enjoy and watch Cutthroat Island. Like I like what he's doing. Um, but um, (laughs) Scott, what say you of cliffhangers? Um, a solid three star picture for me. It's even when I was a kid, and this is even a criticism, it just sort of stuck out. It's a mean fucking movie. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. just brutal. Let's go just shooting down that woman and be like, I'm the pilot now. <laughs> I just mean, you know, I mean, I don't care if other bad guys get shot. That's fine. But, you know, the way that it, you know, it, 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 it in Drop Zone, which came out a year and a half later, sort of personified the whole, you know, you know, the, 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 the just really nasty, mean, cruel violence. Um, and again, that's not even a criticism. These are already an action to get into. And Rennie um, Harlan killed a whole plane in Die Hard. Exactly. You know, that's, I, mean? that's, mm-hmm. yeah. I will say this. I don't, I, I'm going to assume that Cliffhanger was not the first modern movie to open with a prologue where the hero undergoes a traumatic accident slash tragedy, but it sure as fuck became the definitive one. No. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's a, that, that prologue is spectacular. Um, I mean, if it was a short movie, it'd be one of the best short films of the year. And you establish right off the bat the chemistry, the relationship. Weird short film that would be. <laughs> well, that's not what we're still loses somebody. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. That's what all that happens. The end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cautionary <laughs> tale. It's just really suspenseful, right? <laughs> but the rest of the movie is fine. It's obviously very formulaic. It's it's the diehard model, more or less. I do like again. I like the brutality, the fisticuffs. There, you know, the film does a good job in making you think that John Lithgow could, in fact, kick Sylvester Stallone's ass, which is important by the end. Mm-hmm. Although he's a pretty imposing guy in real life. I think he's, he's, he's like tall. seven nine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not quite <laughs> as bad as you know, you know, Keanu Reeves versus the Dragon Tattoo guy and John Wick or whatever. Or Dennis Hopper. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but he's taller. Yeah, he's taller. Yes, but you know, it, it's as far as diehard knockoffs go, it's a good one. The bad guys all have distinct personalities, mm-hmm. and they all get somewhat unique deaths that aren't you know just everyone dies the same way. The film isn't afraid to beat the living shit out of its heroes in a way that is a little refreshing. You know, I, I don't know if I could imagine Dwayne Johnson being abused and or. Demasculated, for lack of a better word, to the extent that those two are, especially in the first act of this picture. Um, and I mean, yeah, it, it you know it looks gorgeous. Uh, it's one of those. It was during that time in the early '90s where you could stage an incredibly impressive action set piece, and the fact that you pulled it off was in itself, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because there was an assumption, a benefit of the doubt, that if you pulled off some kind of midair heist scene like this, it was real. Or a lot of it was real. And from what I gather, a lot of it was real in that sequence. The midair heist has a Guinness Booker record for doing that on film. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's a spectacular set piece. 
And I, I think the rest of the film is, is a bit more, again, formulaic or whatever. But again, I mean, it's a solid three-star picture. I enjoy it. I think it worked in terms of Stallone's brief action movie comeback. The weird thing about Stallone is that with the exception of this brief spot between, say, Cliffhanger and Copland, so from 93 to 97, almost all of his hits were either Rocky or Rambo movies. You know, there are a couple mild exceptions. Maybe Cobra was not a flop. It did make a couple bucks. Tango and Cash cost too much but it did you know it did gross quite a bit but other than that i mean he was sort of the first modern movie star in the extent that he was only worthwhile with a marquee character and even you know in the early 90s he kind of saw the writing on the wall with he talked about how batman had sort of changed the game in terms of well Mm -hmm. now any actor can be put in a suit and he's an action hero and of course he turned out to be very correct and then even 10 years after that we started seeing the new thing where you know serious actors were being able to be action heroes you know matt damon nicholas cage eventually liam neeson almost as a satire so it wasn't as necessary to have a conventional strongman as an action hero but regardless this is a solid solid big budget big screen worthy action adventure picture it's my second favorite Sylvester stallone film of 1993 and it's pretty good gotcha aaron what's the other stallone film in 93 demolition man that's 93? That's 93. Yeah. Oh. Why do I think it's 94? Uh, it's mm-hmm. October, I guess, then, right? Yeah, October 93. October 94 was a specialist, which is not one of my favorite Stallone oh, pictures. Yeah, that movie's terrible. It's funny. Then October 95 was The Assassins, oh. which was also not one of my favorite Stallone films, although it has some charm. When you look at when when people say, like, throwback to 90s action movies, like, I often think it's wrong because that they aren't what 90s action movies look like and i, right. I think because Brandy harland is such a definitive 90s action movie maker it's like i know what a 90s action movie looks like and it's a movie that looks like something like Brandy harland would do where the, there's something about the way he uses his lenses the way he depicts violence the tone of it all there's a very specific look and feel to that that there are other examples that you can see during the 90s but when you look mm-hmm. at movies today and the reviews say like oh it's a throwback to the 90s it's like no it isn't <laughs> like it's a modern action movie yeah, on paper it just happens to have more gunshots than you might be used to or something uh like john wick is not 90s at all <laughs> john wick no. is a modern action movie no it's one th- uh, it, yeah it changed it, it uh like john wick is like a pivot where it's like we got stale with stuff and oh look what you introduced and now we get tons of john wick stuff so. or even like the plotting well it's like if you're saying 90s but you're thinking it's die hard on a this like Die Hard's the 80s, so whatever. But <laughs> um, this movie, Die Hard on a Mountain, fucking rules. Like, it is such a good <laughs> idea for this kind of logic. It's mm-hmm. like, what else can we do with this genre exercise? Mountains. That's inherently great if you're going to, like, do something with that, which is what Rennie Harlan did. It's like, let's go to Italy and just film crazy things from high distances. <laughs> um, and it looks real, like you said, Scott. There's a number of, like, very clever tricks as far as putting actors in precarious positions that feel dangerous. Um, and before I get to that, let me backtrack. I didn't see, t- um, co- uh, what's this movie called? I didn't see Cliffhanger. I was like, Cop Gun? Uh, <laughs> I was like, what is that movie? It's not a movie. Um, I didn't see Cliffhanger until after I saw Ace Ventura When Nature Calls. Um, <laughs> and let me tell you, as a child watching Ace Ventura When Nature Calls, before like the hilarity ensues in that movie, I know well, the movie's the movie, but it's got good bits in it. I like that movie more than the first one because I think the set pieces are. Funnier. It's a better movie. It's the Monopoly uh, guy. It's got right. it's got it's got better set pieces. I think overall. Yeah, uh, but 
before that stuff happens and it does the cliffhanger parody that I didn't realize was a parody at the time, I just was watching this movie. I fell for the fucking raccoon in that movie. <laughs> I was like, this is so sad. This raccoon, this shot of him like dying and he's falling down. It's like, oh, this is so terrible. Oh. Like, it's funny ish or whatnot, but it's like, that, that was dramatic. So, like, watching Cliffhanger. That was a fucking Kobayashi moment or whatever from Usual Suspects or like dropping my coffee cup. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Kaiser so say Kobayashi was the Star Trek you don't care about. No, is is the one Kobayashi is, was Oh Kobayashi, yeah. okay. The Apostle Toys character's name is Kobayashi. Yeah. And, oh, and, and, he got, okay. and he got but he got the oh. name from the, from the bottom of the coffee cup. Yeah. I know what I'm talking about, Brandon Peters. <laughs> <laughs> If I want to say Kobayashi Maru, I say Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> uh, but so, yes, I agree with you, Scott. Like, it's such a great opening to this movie as far as establishing what kind of stunts you're going to be seeing, the kind of stakes you're going to get, and why Stallone is very good in this film. Like, everything is right there laid out for you. And the stunts are great in this movie. Like, I can agree mm-hmm. that the plotting's like whatever after a point, but right. the stunts are really good. Like, when you really look at, like, what they have to do for this, this is not easy. Because, yes, they are on mountains. They are hooked up to harnesses. They're go And it's cold and it's snowy and there's like going down hillsides and mountains and there's helicopters flying over the place let alone another helicopter Rennie Harlan because he's a fucking daredevil inside of it strapped in filming everything right like this is not an easy movie to put together uh so like there's so much to admire about the craft of a movie like this because it well, for one thing comes together quite well but just just the nature of doing stunts like these and pulling them off it's very commendable. It's not a surprise this is a hit because there's just nothing like it as far as the scale and what you're seeing using a formula that's already been proven to work. Like, so it's doing what it needs to do. It does have a really colorful cast as far as all the bad guys do seem different from each other, including Cool Running's Leon, uh, the summer of Leon. Uh, like, there's just <laughs> going on as far as giving everything its own, like, interesting set piece as far as like there's that bridge scene there's a helicopter scene there's stallone barebacking climbing up a mountain with no jacket on like there's all these like cool ideas of how do we test this guy's strength and how do we find excuses for stallone to do stallone things yet still make it feel in character and he does make it feel in character mm-hmm. like he is good in this movie yes he could make fun of the lines because he has a weird way of talking but like it's still fun to see him and rooker like having a you know a bro off on the top of a mountain and he holds him over the side and it's right. like the film like, it's, it's just really like there's a lot to like really enjoy about this movie and yes maybe i like demolition man more but this is still really fun it yeah. really nails what it's trying to do the good year for stallone he had yeah yeah, two of his best the brutality of it is not necessarily welcome but it's certainly of a kind that you just don't see all that often and and even like you know movies like this could be glib or have a sense of humor to them there's not a lot of one-liners in this movie it's not a movie that's Mm -hmm. cashing in on like what clever thing can somebody say before they kill him what jokes there are are very macabre yeah, and it's mainly John Lithgow like riffing of being like, I'm, I'm such an asshole, aren't I? Look how much right. an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically the joke of the movie. Uh, but he's so, really yeah. the hero because he's trying to save the environment. And I, 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 I like to think, that, if anything, this time might have helped Michael Rooker's career out. Like, obviously, being in a big Stallone movie, that's not going to hurt anybody's career. But like, he's known for being scary as fuck in Henry Serial Portrait of a Serial Killer. So mm-hmm. him being like this guy who lost his wife and has to get beat up by John Lithgow for ninety minutes, like, yeah, that's a good way to turn things around for your image. I feel like. So. 
Yeah. No, he's he's very vulnerable, which is yeah. unusual for you know a macho character in a movie mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. He's basically yeah. the Bonnie Bedelia character. Pretty much. Yeah, because it's a yeah. hostage for a majority of yeah. movies. Uh, but yeah, yeah, good movie. I like it. I was gonna say this is a, these are our last years of Lithgow being like a scary guy because he would have to <laughs> rock from the sun in like three years and but these were the roles he was playing like he you know being well yeah, the De Palma was keeping him employed for yeah, a bit. De Palma yeah. kept him <laughs> creepy uh, but yeah no Rooker's interesting because this is like he can play these types of roles where it's like. Uh, he has a similar one in like Replacement Killers, uh, yeah. the Chow Yun Fat movie that would come out uh, later in the decade. But yeah, no, I I agree with you, Aaron, wholeheartedly. And the fi- yeah, the filmmaking here is just super. Like it is, it's the growth of Harlan, but it almost feels like I don't know if I'm going to make a movie after this. <laughs> you know, like it's all there. Oh, it was, but he does. He does go as big as possible of his next one since he bankrupts the studio. <laughs> <laughs> True, true. This true, studio, true. what Corolco, right? This is Corolco, yeah, yeah. He, he he takes the goodwill from that, and he's like, "How about we cast Gina Davis and Franklin Garrow together in in Modi in mm-hmm. our pirate movie? Pirate movies do well, right? Let's put a lot of money on that one. Let's see how that goes." Corolco, we're not just TV. <laughs> bump, bump, bump. Oh, by the way, the other thing on my post-it note that I want to write down. <laughs> so we have Lance Hendrickson in Super Mario Brothers, right? Mm-hmm. And guess who has a special appearance credit in this movie? That's right, Paul Winfield. Terminator yep. reunion. Terminator reunion. This episode, <laughs> yes. This weekend. Oh yeah, leading into a Son Arnold movie later on. <laughs> oh, if you want to play Six Degrees, we were talking about Kim Basinger and Bless the Child, which is directed by Chuck Russell, who directed Nightmare on Elm Street Three, which was followed up by Rennie Harlan's The Nightmare on Elm Street Four. Right. And I, I will put. Uh, I don't know if this is the. I can't remember if this happened in summer of 82, uh, but uh, Janine Turner uh, will have both uh, top 10 uh, show in the Nielsen ratings and top 10 box office movie this week. That if tracks. only she had a hit single and could just. <laughs> yeah, because she was. I mean, spoiler. It's basically, I guess. It's basically an EGOT. She was the, you know, the star of Northern Exposure at that time. Mm-hmm. That was part of how she got this role. Dancing missed it by a week. <laughs> um, and this was back, you know, this was before the insider when Bruce McGill was lucky, was happy to get any kind of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bruce McGill shows up here. It was nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, it's Jack Dalton. Oh, he's dead now. This is a, I mean, this is a really good one for, uh, what's his name? Um, usually a side guy. Rex Lynn? Rex Lynn, yeah. He, this is a meaty role for him. Yeah, he gets um, to ham it up more here. Usually, yeah. he's just like stern authority, you know, like like rush hour. He's just kind of like stern authority figure guy. Yeah, he's not. He's not like he's. There's guy number one, then guy number two, and he's probably guy number three. Like, but he's definitely number two here. Um, yeah, he, he gets to go out. He go out of an airplane and everything. And right. He gets to like shoot a shotgun off and have a fight with Stallone and everything. I was like his death shit, scene yeah. where he like gets shot through the ice, and then the mm-hmm. last you see him is floating through the ice going. Huh. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fun day. From what I gather, oh, yeah. that was the big scene that got edited a lot to get an R rating. That and the, 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 stalag, the stalactite scene. Oh, right. Yes. That makes sense. Leon, <laughs> the yeah, scene. dude, the Leon fight is awesome. I, I haven't seen 
like having you know Ace Ventura, this movie I hadn't seen this movie like only like on TV I saw it for a mm. long time before I actually saw it on you know on a whatever a DVD or whatever. So like I, I used to just see the movie where it's like people are dead now, I guess, but I don't exactly know how. <laughs> gotcha. Rennie Harlan doesn't make it easy for him. Yeah. No. no, people bleed. He likes squibs a lot. I, uh, I watched this movie with the commentary with Randy Harlan and Stallone, not recorded together. It's one of those where one talks and, oh. and and Harlan has a lot more to say than Stallone. But what I do like is they're both very complimentary of each other. They both seem to really like get it. And it makes me wish that there were more Harlan-Stallone combo vehicles because this movie rocks as far as what they're doing. And mm-hmm. Stallone, who you know wrote the screenplay and is Stallone, yeah. tends to like to control things a bit. So the fact that he could get along with another director that's inspiring to me. And I'm like, oh, these guys should have done more. Make him do Daylight. That would have been better. Oh, 1,000%. And I like Daylight, I think. I saw it from 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 fan (laughs) favorite Rob Cohen. Uh, (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) From from Dragon the Bruce Lee stories, Rob Cohen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah, cliffhanger definitely, but let's uh, let's take a look over Scott to the box office for okay, cliffhanger well, and how it did. The, the numbers, the money, the money made, the money done. I think I had to go. I had to get it. I had to get it from the numbers. dot com. Twenty point uh, cliffhanger was number one at the box office with a robust twenty point four three day opening weekend. Or is that three day or is that four day? That's three day. Let's see how much it did in. No, no, that's the four day. It had a 16.2 Friday to Sunday, and then 20.4 over Friday to Monday, which back then was a perfectly good opening weekend. Is that pretty good for Memorial mm-hmm. Day? Yeah. 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 And the film would leg out to approximately $255 million worldwide, which on a 70 budget was just fine. Thank you very much. Again, in the olden days, that was enough. That's more than a hit. Um, also- I imagine this movie had some good word of mouth too to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you it's the, end. the video sales and all the, like you got all the back end stuff later. Mm-hmm. On. I mean, I imagine it made a billion dollars just on TNT, Eric's. I'm sure. Oh yeah, we know drama. <laughs> um, and then let me go back to this because it's all weird. Uh, Made in America would do uh, 11.8 million over four days, uh, which again is a solid, okay opening weekend for a movie like like this. Yeah, Yeah. it would eventually earn approximately 105 million dollars worldwide on on a 22 million dollar budget. Tidy hit. Yeah, Yeah. it's funny because at the time it was sort of seen as a slight disappointment. I don't know why, but whatever. So, So, Scott, you're saying this was a big Willie weekend? Uh yeah yeah it was <laughs> we could have got made in America too where like Nia Long's having a baby and Ted Danson's there for some reason back and I I guarantee you when Will Smith became a huge star someone fucking wrote that script to see right. if it can oh, yeah. happen I'm guaranteed that exists in somewhere in some form oh gosh yeah as well as where the night takes you and seven Uh-oh. degrees of separation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, coming in third place was Dave, earning uh, $9 million over its whatever weekend, fourth weekend, I think. Yeah, well, he, um, Dave will not go away. Makes about the same every weekend. Yeah. And then in fourth place was the sad, pathetic Super Mario Brothers, which opened with just $8.5 million over four days, which even by 1993 standards was a disaster. What's the budget on that one? 
uh, about $45 million. Okay. And it would make approximately $39 million. I think that's just domestic. Let me see. Uh, TNT didn't want it either. No, that's worldwide. Because yeah, they only no, did 21 it, it, domestic. It yeah. Jesus. <laughs> what a uh, loser. It's going to sink real fast here. <laughs> uh, coming in number five was Hot Shots Part 2 with $8.2 million in its third weekend of release. Wait. No, second, second weekend second of release. Weekend. Sorry. Uh, it would earn, uh, it would eventually earn, well, I think it was like 150 overall. Something like that. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Menace to Society would open with $3.8 million, but in only 464 theaters for the uh, per screen average of $8,224. That was the second biggest per screen average behind Cliffhanger that weekend. It, it would eventually earn. Appro- like sorry, go ahead. It hits like 31 or something like that. Eventually. Yes, it would earn approximately $30 million worldwide on a $3.5 million budget. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice hit for what it is. It's a solid, solid performer. Mm-hmm. And then behind that, you've got, oh, I'm sorry, I apologize. Between Odd Shards and Menace Society, you had Sliver, which made 7.3. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then number eight, you have a decent proposal with uh, 3.3. Dragon the Bruce Lee story with 2.6. By the way, a decent proposal, that came out well before the start of the summer. Yeah. So that one's sticking around. That was early. So yeah, it was in its seventh, eighth weekend, give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, seventh weekend, eighth weekend, sorry. And it would eventually make over a hundred million domestic, and that's the box office in a nutshell. With Posse in the tenth place, right? Uh, yeah, Posse in tenth mm-hmm. place with two two point two million. Gotcha, gotcha. <clears throat> so we, yeah, so Cliffhanger is like our first biggie, right? That'd be the, yes. the official. I mean, the, this was a time when force. Yes, of course. Yes, yes. Um, generally speaking, this was still a time when summer officially started over Memorial Day weekend. Right. Although in some years there, you know, a, a curtain raiser, if you will, because even then it was like you know we all we all treated Hot Shots Part Two and Sliver as the curtain raisers of summer '93. Right. When do we change um, that? Is it Twister '1996? Oh, '96. Yep, yep. And then you know, that opened with like forty-one, almost one of the biggest openings of all time, with forty-one million in May of 1996. Deep Impact would do likewise in May of 1998, and then in 1999, the buttons were saying the Mummy's only going to do twenty million this week, and I'm like, bullshit! It's opening the same weekend as Twister and Deep Impact. It's going to do forty-four million dollars. I'm thinking it did like, forty-four million dollars. Like guys, the Matrix. The people are starved for more CG stuff. Like yeah. exactly, I'm going to do some money, 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 oh. money. What's what's because Crimson Tide's ninety-five. That's that Memorial Day, and that does mm-hmm. quite well. That was the that was the pre-Memorial Day curtain raiser. Yeah. What's, uh, what, what's ninety? No, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That actually opened a little early. That was the curtain like the, raiser. Like the second or third weekend. Of- yeah, I mean, French Kiss sold itself as the summer opener. Summer starts with a kiss, quote. But he's back. Yeah. And then the next weekend was Crimson Tide. The weekend after that was Diehard with a Vengeance. And then Memorial yeah, Day Diard, weekend. Yeah. Diard, yeah. yeah. Yep. And then Memorial Day weekend was uh, Braveheart, Casper, and Wild at Heart. Hmm. What, oh, wow. Did Heart just slayed the box office? What was 94? Yes. That, that's what I was trying to think of. What was 94? Oh, thing? 94 was you had The Crow in early to mid-May, and then you had Maverick as sort of the curtain raiser, and then yeah. you had the Flintstones. Flintstones, that's what it is. There okay. Steven Spielberg presents. Yes. The Flintstones. Um, <laughs> back when the Steven Spielberg presents really meant something. Flintstones. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, uh, I, that I, film I, for the life of me, I could not tell you that the crow was a summer movie. That probably that would never. <laughs> I feel like that would be like an April spring, or like an or a, or you know like a September into October movie. <laughs> mm, that works. Yeah. Nope. It was sort of the uh, last year the whatever. prophecy. This year the crow. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you call them before the curtain raiser, because I ready I, for nobody... the darkness. That's right. This summer the crow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Time to take her and then yeah because the curtain raiser was maverick a movie i love but it's probably one of the harder mel gibson movies to rewatch because it's entirely based on his his uh on-screen charisma but if i can just ignore that and concentrate on how hot jodie foster is i can get through it <laughs> right on. gotcha all right well um well scott takes his imagery of jovi foster with us uh that'll do it for uh, this weekend of the end of May for uh, 1993, 28th to 30th, though we'll still be in May as we enter June next week. Uh, but Scott Aaron, thank you for joining me. And as always, before we sign out, let people know where they can keep up with you. Aaron. I host a show called Out Now with Aaron and Abe. It is a podcast talking about the weekly movie releases. We probably just talked about Fast X as this is coming out. Um, myself and Abe have a lot of fun doing that show. Weekly movie releases and commentaries and all kinds of fun. I write for League of Entertainment for movie reviews and Wise of Blue for Criterion and Blu-ray reviews. All my work can be found at my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. And I'm on Twitter, Aaron's PS4. All right. And Scott? I'm at therap.com. I'm at Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD, written work at whysoblue.com. Tune in next week as our musical chance finds Michael J. Fox spending his life with Mikey, and we are guilty as sin for being a podcast of nothing but men. All that and more as the summer of 93 at 30 continues. It's the summer of 93 at 30. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. The summer of and news themes by Press Maxson. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.